You know, when we think of heroes, we probably think most of the time about those, uh, especially spiritual heroes, who are leading the church, right? It's the strongest, the loudest, the ones out in front that we think of when we think of heroes. The hero is the one who saves the day, whether that is rescuing the damsel in distress, whether that is uh, hitting the game-winning shot, whether it's delivering that awe-inspiring speech. Heroes are the ones in front that everybody sees, right? Sometimes, maybe, but not necessarily. See, today we're going to talk about a hero of the faith who was one that, that really did most of his work from beneath as an encourager. And, uh, you know, some of you can relate to this. The fact that, that sometimes what is really needed are those people who are willing to be behind the scenes. Those people who are willing to lift others up, who don't necessarily care if they're recognized or in the spotlight, but they want to encourage other people. And I know that I'm describing some of you right now, because I know you, and I know your heart, I know uh, what your desire is, and today I want you to be encouraged to know that as you may be from the sidelines or maybe in a way that others don't even see, as you are encouraging others, you are being a spiritual hero. And today we're going to talk about uh, a, a person who, as far as we know, doesn't have any kind of sermon that was ever recorded in any way. We don't know of him preaching, although he probably did because he went on missionary journeys. We don't have his letter to the churches that we refer back to. All that we know about this person is what is described to us in the New Testament and the fact that his name means son of encouragement. Today we're talking about Barnabas. And um, we're going to be reminded that sometimes heroes of the faith are just those who can encourage everybody else. And we're going to take a look at three different ways, three different, different passages that show how Barnabas was so instrumental to the early church because of what he did to lift up and encourage others. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 4 in a minute, but let me just kind of catch us up to the point where we are, just a reminder. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, of course, comes at Pentecost. The disciples all preach in foreign languages they don't even understand. There are 3,000 people who come to faith. Some of them were from other parts of the world. They go back to their homes, but many of them stayed, remained there in Jerusalem, and so now they start gathering together. And in Acts chapter 2, we see that the early church would get together and they were sharing resources. It says that they would sell possessions, they would give to people in need, they gathered together, they had meals together, they prayed together, they encouraged one another, right? That's chapter 2. Then you get into chapter 4, and at the beginning of chapter 4, Peter is arrested because he is preaching the good news. And the church gathers together and they pray for Peter and Peter is released. And then they have this prayer gathering that is so powerful. It says that literally the walls of the church were shaken because God's presence was so real in this prayer gathering. And then the very next thing you see in verse 32 of chapter 4 is where again it says that they were together. They were sharing resources. They were taking care of one another. Now, Skip down to verse 36. Let's pick it up in Acts 4, and let's read verses 36 and 37 together. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money 
and put it at the apostles' feet. So the first thing we see about Barnabas is that actually wasn't his name. (laughs) His name was Joseph. But he was given Barnabas, the name Barnabas, because it means son of encouragement. Now that makes me wonder, how encouraging do you have to be in order for people to rename you son of encouragement, right? This isn't just he had a good day. You know, he lifted somebody up one day and they said, we're going to rename you. No, evidently this was a part of his character, something that that was repeated over and over and over again. So much so that it kind of became his identity. And they say, this is the guy who is the son of encouragement. Now, it's, it's clear from reading the rest of the scriptures and, and, and passages in Acts, obviously Barnabas wasn't the only one of the early disciples who was encouraging, right? They did this regularly. They encouraged each other. They met together. There just seems to be something about Barnabas that made him stand out, that made them say, we're going to rename this guy and give him the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so we're going to look at a few different ways that Barnabas was encouraging to other people around him today and maybe these have something to do with why he was given this name and obviously the goal then is from what we see here to say okay how can how can I be more like that and I don't know about you some of you see and encouragement just kind of it's it really is a, a giftedness that God gives some and there are others that that I would put myself in this camp it's like I'm learning but I, I need help here, right? I need to continue to be intentional about growing. So whether this is a natural gift for you, and if so, great, we need you. We desperately need you in the church. In fact, one of the things that's really evident to me right now, just from reading prayer requests that come in on Sundays, from having conversations with people individually, people are struggling right now. There's a lot of discouragement out there. And so for our encouragers, man, we need you now more than ever before. And for the rest that maybe don't lean in that direction, it's time for us to move more in that direction so that we can all do this. So Barnabas, one of the first things we see about him from this passage that we just read in Acts chapter 4, and this is an interesting thing to me that when we are introduced to him and and given his name, Son of Encouragement, that it comes in this context. But here it is, that Barnabas used his resources to encourage others. Isn't that interesting? That when it says, here's this guy named Son of Encouragement, the very first thing it says about him is that he sold a field and he gave it to the apostles so that they could use it to distribute to anybody who had a need. I'm sure you remember the story. We were in this a few weeks ago. But right after this comes the story of Ananias and Sapphira who sold a field and pretended to give all the proceeds when they didn't and, and they lied to the Holy Spirit and evidently wanted recognition and they dropped dead right there in the middle of church. So... Evidently, what happened was Barnabas had done this out of a pure heart, and others said, ooh, we want to be recognized like him, and so they tried to get in on it as well. Um, but Barnabas is, is mentioned by name as someone who sold a field and gave the proceeds for the benefit of others who needed it. Now, one of my questions is this. Why did they mention him by name, specifically? Because if you go back to chapter 2... In chapter 2, this isn't the first time this has happened. In chapter 2, right after the coming of Pentecost, it says that people sold their possessions and they gave to one another as they have need. But no name was mentioned. 
It says right above this in chapter 4, verse 32, it says all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. All of them. So if they're all doing this, why, why does this one guy get mentioned? And we don't know that specifically. I think the answer is because he was such a great example. And we need those people, right? We need those folks that we can look to as an example and say, okay, it's not about following them. It's really about following Jesus. But these are people who are following Jesus in such a way that they are good examples. And so I look at that and, and, and it tells me this, that I should view my resources as a tool for encouraging others. Now, our resources involve a lot of different things. That's our time, that's our energy, that's our giftedness, our experience, our knowledge, all those things, right? But let's not gloss over the fact that specifically what he's talking about here are financial resources. He sold a field and he gave the money. When it comes to thinking in terms of generosity, I mean, I think we all understand we've, you know, we know God wants us to be generous and we know we need to support kingdom work and, you know, maybe you're committed to, to tithing and giving offerings and all those kinds of things. And that's wonderful. That's important. But how often do you think of your generosity in terms of this is a way to encourage somebody else, right? That's a little bit different spin than maybe we sometimes think about, but that's what Barnabas did. So, with that in mind, may I share something that's just very personal to me along these lines? We can always talk about, you know, principles and all that, but, but I want to I share an experience being on the receiving end of exactly what we're talking about and the encouragement that can come along with that. As most of you know, most of you probably know our family story, um, just under three years ago, our youngest daughter was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, and, and so when that happened... You know, of course, everything just kind of comes to a grinding halt, right? And you're not sure what to do, and everything just kind of gets turned upside down. And so I was thinking back to that time, and, you know, when we got that, when we received that diagnosis, obviously there are a million different things that are running through my head. And, you know, what, what does this mean? What's the future going to look like? You know, is she going to be able to, to get the help that she needs? I mean, all this stuff is going through our minds, and it doesn't help that it's such a rare form of cancer that nobody really knows much about it, and so there's not a lot out there to give a whole lot of direction. And so there's a lot going through my mind at that time, obviously, right? And, and certainly, first and foremost, was how this impacts Autumn, but then the rest of the family, you know, how are we dealing with, how's the rest of the family dealing with this? And as a leader of our family, I'm feeling the responsibility, right, to, to kind of try to make sure everybody's okay as much as they can be. But can I be honest and tell you that one of the other things that's going through my mind, I'm the one who handles the finances in our family. And one of my first thoughts is, how are we going to pay for everything that's going to be needed in the years to come? Um, didn't know exactly what that would be or what that would look like. But what I did know was that about two years before, we made a decision uh, to not, no longer be on a traditional health insurance plan. We got involved in one of the Christian cost-sharing plans. And, and one of the reasons for that is because we're very healthy. We don't ever need it, right? And so we got involved in this plan with a very high deductible, a little over $10,000 deductible before anything else kicks in. And then I'm not sure what's going to cover, you know, what medications are going to 
be covered and not covered and other things. And so all of this is running through my mind. Around that time, there was a friend of ours and a member of our church who had been through cancer treatment. And on her own, she came to us and says, I'm going to set up a GoFundMe page for you all because you're going to have some needs. Uh, you don't even know what they are yet, but some of it she was experienced and knew. And so she set that up with the goal of raising $30,000 on this GoFundMe page. Um, and people just began to, to give and to be generous toward us. And through that page and other individuals that just came to us you know, privately and gave some gifts privately, we just about hit that goal. And guys, can I just tell you um, the encouragement that that was at a time that was a very, very dark time in our lives where there wasn't a lot to be encouraged about other than, you know, we know God's still good and we're, you know, all of that. But still, that, that, was, that was a difficult season. But to have other people come along and say, here's one thing that we can do to lift a little bit of the burden, at least for a period of time, uh, we want to do that. That was incredibly encouraging for me and for Sean, for our family. Um, you know, there were, there were some that gave large amounts, and that was greatly appreciated. There were many, there were friends of Autumn's that went on and gave $10, and that was incredibly encouraging. Just the fact that, that people said, we want to tangibly show you that we're with you and that we care about you and your family. And I, I, honestly, I feel a little awkward telling that story, but I share that just to say, I've been on the receiving end of this. And I know that when material resources are used in a way to express support and love and encouragement, it really makes a significant difference. And, and that's what Barnabas is doing here. Uh, and he wasn't the only one. We see that throughout uh, the, the, the book of Acts, that there were so, so many others that were generous. But Barnabas is held up as an example of somebody who did that. So I would encourage you to view your material resources that way. Not only as a way to fund kingdom work, and that's huge and important, but as a way to maybe encourage some other believers, just come alongside some people. All right, let's look at a second example. Turn over to Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 28. It says, When he came to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples. This is talking about Saul, by the way, at the time. His name hasn't been changed to Paul yet. But He came to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So you see what's going on here, right? Saul, we'll just call him Paul because that's what we're most used to calling him. So Paul comes to faith in Christ. He comes to the early church and they are absolutely terrified of him. They want nothing to do with him. And how could you blame him? I mean, before he was converted... His goal was to eliminate the Christians. He, he actually went to Damascus with a letter from the high priest to arrest any of those who were following Jesus, who belonged to the way, it says. And so now he gets to his location and he says, hey, I changed my mind. I'm one of you now. Now, if you're one of the early believers, what are you thinking at this point? 
What happens if Vladimir Putin decides he wants to go to Ukraine and say, Hey guys, I changed my mind. We're all good now, right? I'm thinking they're not going to buy it. And I don't blame the early church for looking at him with great suspicion. Because, I mean, really, if you think about it, this is a brilliant plot, isn't it? If your goal is to figure out who the Christians are, and maybe specifically who the leaders of the church are, why not get in on the inside, pretend to be one of them? It's brilliant, right? But that's not what happened. And who is the guy who steps up and speaks on Paul's behalf? It's Barnabas. Barnabas is the guy who takes Saul at the time, Paul, and, and connects him to the church. And so here's the second thing that I want us to see about Barnabas is that Barnabas used his influence to elevate others. He used his influence. See, the church had trusted him at this point. He had, he had been an example. He'd been mentioned by name early in the book of Acts. They believed in him. And Barnabas took a little risk here, didn't he? I mean, he believed, he saw something in Paul, and he believed that he was genuine, and he, he heard him preach. And so I think he could tell that this is a man who had genuinely had a heart change, and, and, and God had done something there. But still, he's taking a little bit of a risk, and he's using his influence to, to lift him up and to encourage him in front of others. And, you know, that just got me to thinking, do I use my influence to encourage other people, you know, to lift others up. And that begs another question is, where is your influence? Because, you know, some have a larger sphere of influence than others do. But everybody has some sphere of influence, right? And I would encourage you to start with your family. Start with those relationships. Because certainly within that family unit, that's where you have your, your, perhaps your greatest influence. And so a great question for me is this. Am I using my influence in the family to encourage them, to lift them up? Sometimes one of the things that I forget is that my words carry more weight than I sometimes realize, especially within my sphere of influence. You know? I forget that sometimes. I'm like, ah, it's just me. And, and, and I'll say things and not realize those words carry weight. In your family, your words definitely carry weight. If you have children, your words carry a lot of weight with your kids. If you're married, your words carry a lot of weight with your spouse. If you have grandkids, brothers, sisters, whatever it may be. But words carry weight, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, are we in that area of influence... Are we using our words in such a way that we're lifting others up? Ephesians 4.29 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let me speak for a moment to our dads, because, and, and not because I want to pick on guys, but because I am one, and I know at least in our family that this is the one of the two that needs the most help in this area, right? And that's probably common. Dads in particular, your words carry a lot of weight in your family. Are you using those words to do what Ephesians 4.29 says? 
to build up, to lift up, and to encourage. Now, I understand that this is not saying that there's a time for correction, right? There's a time for discipline. I understand all that. I'm not saying that we ignore it and it's going to be all unicorns and rainbows all the time and, you know, everything's just happy and fluffy. That's not the point. But even when we do need to provide some correction, are we doing it in such a way that it benefits? Maybe that, by the way, it doesn't mean they like it all the time. But it benefits those who listen. It's done with the right heart. And that we are using our influence to encourage. And let me encourage you to, to, to do this if you're not sure where to start. And again, moms, I'm not leaving you out. I'm just saying, honestly, this is a generalization. But most of the time, moms are a little bit better to kind of lean more naturally in this direction than perhaps we do as guys. So this is a, applies to you too, ladies, okay, men and women. Um, but to start just something as simple as paying attention to what your kids or your spouse or whoever it is, what are they doing right? You know, isn't it easy to notice the things that are being done wrong? But what are they doing right? What is something, and specifically, what are they doing right that lines up with something that God desires for them, right? Because if you can tie some encouragement to this is where I see God working in your life, and I see this, and this is pleasing to God, and maybe can even tie it to Scripture in some way, that is a wonderful way for us to encourage our families. And it can be something as simple as, obviously spoken word is important, but in addition to that, write a little note, send a text, you know, whatever it may be, but just little thoughts. You know, that's something I'm really trying to train myself as a thought comes, it's just right then, I mean, right at that moment, stop, send a text or a message or whatever it may be, just write a note that just expresses what that may be. I think that's, that's really really important now I know for some like I said before for some this comes more naturally than others and for some you may think ah that's just not me or I just that wasn't model for me I didn't grow up that way okay but it doesn't get you off the hook it doesn't excuse us because you know one of the things that I try to do to, is, is remind myself that this is a spiritual issue this really is a, a discipleship issue right an issue between me and God, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. We are commanded in Scripture to encourage and to build one another up. And in that context, he's talking about reminding us, reminding one another of God's truth. So the question is, okay, what if I'm not good at it? Well, then you can do like I did. Marry someone who is. <laughs> Oh, seriously, what you can do is surround yourself with people who are good encouragers, right? Seek those people out. I'm going to tell you right now, in, in, in over 30 years, Sean and I will be celebrating 30 years of marriage in, in May. We've known each other a little bit longer than that. Um, I have become a student of the way that woman encourages people. It's unbelievable. And I've learned so much. And I'm, I'm still, you know, a work in progress but really, if we can have people in our lives that, that we focus on and that can be models for us of how to do it, that's a great thing. Surround yourself with those people and be intentional about saying, okay, how can I lift others up around me? And specifically, in my areas of influence. Now, you can apply that, you know, work or whatever, other areas. But I'm just saying, start with your family. That's a great place to begin. All right, one more passage of Scripture. So, uh, we see that, that Barnabas is encouraging 
people. He's lifting people up. And by the way, uh, do you ever wonder, what if he hadn't done this for the early church? I mean, what, what if Paul hadn't been received into the early church? How many churches would not have been planted? How many thousands of people wouldn't have come to faith in Christ? And we wouldn't have half of our New Testament if somebody had not brought Paul in and Barnabas was the guy that God used to do that. All right, Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. This will be our last passage to look at. It says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, what's going on here is that Saul, or, or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas are having a disagreement about John Mark. Apparently on the first trip, he flaked out on them. We don't know exactly what happened, but he deserted them at some point during that trip. And Paul's saying, I ain't doing that again. You know, we're not going down that road again. And can I just tell you that I understand where Paul is coming from? Just logically speaking, why would you want to bring somebody along that, that proved that he wasn't dependable last time? You know what they say, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And Paul's saying, look, he's done it once before, and chances are he's going to do it again. I don't want him. And here's Barnabas. The great encourager, right? And Barnabas sees something in John Mark. And, and I don't know if God had matured him in some way or, or he just, you know, whatever it was. But here's the, the last thing that I want you to see is that Barnabas gave others a second chance. See, that's what encouragers do. They don't give up on people. In fact, Barnabas felt so strongly about this that it says they had a sharp disagreement about it. And I love this because it reminds me, when you think about people that are great encouragers, maybe sometimes in our minds we might get the image of somebody that's just all, you know, happy and is, never wants to have a disagreement. And, you know, they're just all, you know, avoiding conflict and that kind of thing. That's not Barnabas. The son of encouragement was willing to, to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with somebody if another person's... Um, you know, future was at stake here. And Barnabas was so passionate about giving Mark another chance that he had this, this sharp disagreement with Paul. So much so, it says, that they parted ways. Now, I don't gather from this that they broke fellowship over this. I think it was probably one of those we can agree to disagree kind of a thing, but I'm not. Neither one of them was going to cave in, right? And I think that's important because, I mean, we know that about Paul. We read about him. It's like, yeah, he, he was a pretty strong personality. He wasn't going to cave in to anybody. But Barnabas didn't cave in either. You see, you can be a great encourager and still have a backbone. And still stand for what is right. In fact, that's necessary if you want to be a great encourager. You, you stand for what is right. Well... I'm so glad that Barnabas did. I'm so glad that he, that he fought for Mark and gave him a second chance because obviously Mark messed up. 
But I see so much of myself in him, don't you? Because here's the thing. You're messed up. I'm messed up. We're all messed up. Every single one of us, we desperately need a second chance. And in fact, that's what the gospel is all about. It's about the fact that you and I are so messed up that we had to have God step in on our behalf. Jesus came to this earth to become a sacrifice for our sins. I mean, ironically, the only one who didn't deserve to die did. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us why. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. See, Jesus died in our place. He, he did everything necessary in order for us to be forgiven because we're messed up. And he gave us a second chance. He gives us the opportunity to start over. Where would we be without that? I'll tell you one thing. We'd be separated from God without hope. With no opportunity of making things right. So really everything that we're looking at here when we're talking about believing in others and giving people a second chance. Really, that's just an extension of the gospel. That's what God has done for you. It's what God has done for me. And because of that, we need to do it for other people. You know, it turns out that Barnabas was right and Paul was wrong. And we know that, one, because, you know, the gospel of Mark was written by this guy that Paul was ready to write off. But not only that, in 2 Timothy 4.11, which was later on in Paul's ministry, listen to what he said. He said, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that beautiful? This guy that he was ready to say, forget him. I don't want him to come. He's already failed us. And Barnabas comes along and says, let's give him another chance. Paul refuses, so he takes him separately on a journey. Maybe going with Barnabas on this missionary journey is what God used to restore John Mark. And he became so important to the work of the early church that Paul asked for him by name. I love that. Because it tells me that there's... There's never, you never get to a point where God can't restore and give us another opportunity. You see, encouragers, they see the best in people. They see what they're capable of in the future when everyone else just sees how they messed up in the past. So guys, we need to be encouragers. We need to train ourselves to be those who see the best in others. Who give them an opportunity. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean being walked over. That doesn't mean putting yourself in an unhealthy relationship where somebody is just damaging you over and over again that you're like, well, I've got to stay. That, that's not the point, okay? But the point is that you never give up on anybody. You know why? Because God never gives up on us. That's why. He continues to give us opportunities to get it right. You know, bottom line is this. When we encourage we're joining God in what God does. But you know what the Bible says about Satan? It says that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. When we discourage, we're joining Satan in what he does. 
Enough said, right? Let's pray. Lord, would you help us today to be great encouragers just as you are toward each one of us? Thank you that you don't give up on us. I thank you, Lord, for, for people like Barnabas that are, that are your tool and your reminder um, that you don't give up on us and that, that, that we have an opportunity in front of us. So thank you, Lord, and use us and help us to encourage others around us just as you do. In Jesus' name, amen.